Good evening. Welcome to our Catholic education classes. We're talking about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We're continuing our journey through it. And let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear Lord, we pray that you send the Holy Spirit into our hearts and our minds so that we can know you better and love you more and follow you more closely. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, welcome everybody. Uh, last time we spoke about Mary's role about her Immaculate Conception, her Divine Motherhood, and her Perpetual Virginity. And that brings us <clears throat> up to paragraph 512. And we're going to talk about uh, the mysteries of the life of Christ. And we'll begin with his uh, hidden life his private life, the first 30 years of his life. Now, just so that everybody knows, you can, you might be watching this on YouTube, but you can also listen to this as a podcast on uh, iTunes. Simply go to iTunes and type in Henry Cordonier, and uh, the account will come up, and then you can listen to it uh, in the garage when you're working, in the kitchen when you're cooking. You know, you don't have to actually look at my beautiful face. You can uh, just listen to the, to the podcast. And I've had uh, some people tell me that that's what they like to do. Or listen while you're driving. But it's on Apple iTunes under Henry Cordonier, and then uh, <clears throat> all of my videos are to be found there in podcast form. Okay, we're on paragraph 512. Concerning Christ's life, the Creed speaks only about the mysteries of the Incarnation, Conception and Birth, and Paschal Mystery. Passion, crucifixion, death, burial, descend into hell, resurrection, and ascension. It says nothing explicitly about the mysteries of Jesus' hidden or public life. But the articles of faith concerning his incarnation and Passover do shed light on the whole of his earthly life. All that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, is to be seen in the light of the mysteries of Christmas and Easter. Paragraph 513. According to circumstances, catechesis will make use of all the riches, richness of the mysteries of Jesus. Here it is enough to merely indicate some elements common to all the mysteries of Christ's life, in order to then sketch the principal mysteries of Jesus' hidden and public life. 
Paragraph 514. Many things about Jesus of interest to human curiosity do not figure in the Gospels. Almost nothing is said about his hidden life at Nazareth. And even a great part of his public life is not recounted. What is written in the Gospels was set down there so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Yes, that is what St. John wrote at the end of his Gospel. He said that what I have written, I have written so that you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and have eternal life. It would be nice, as it says, uh, what of interest to human curiosity. Yeah, it would be nice to know things about Jesus. You know, how tall was he? How much did he weigh? What, what work did he do? We, you know, we hear he's the carpenter's son, but what did he really do? I mean, he didn't become a public figure until he was 30. So what was he doing all those years between 12 and 30? You know? Yeah. He was working, but at what? That would all be interesting. Who were his... I mean, did he have friends? I mean, there would, there would be a thousand different things that would just be nice to know about him. There, there were, you know, the, the false gospels. Yeah. You know, they had the whole story about Jesus' life. He didn't have any friends at one point, so he was sitting alone on the shore, exploding animals. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. and those it are sparks, false. Yeah, it those, sparks curiosity. Those are false gospels, yeah. you know, and and um, and uh, so we'll just have to wait till we get to heaven to get the, all the details. Yeah. And, and there are some mystical writers like Anne Catherine Emmerich and uh, St. Bridget and uh, numerous others who have had some mystical revelations, but then again, that's private revelation, and you don't know if that's... You don't really know how accurate that is. Yeah. But it is interesting to read. Yeah, it makes you want to make a list for when you get to have <laughs> uh, just a list of questions. A list of questions, yeah. Paragraph 515. The Gospels were written by men who were among the first to have faith and wanted to share it with others. Having known in faith who Jesus is, they could see and make others see the traces of his mystery in all his earthly life. From the swaddling clothes of his birth to the vinegar of his passion and the shroud of his resurrection. <clears throat> Everything in Jesus' life was a sign of his mystery. His deeds, miracles, and words all revealed that in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. His humanity appeared as sacrament, that is, the sign and instrument of his divinity and of the salvation he brings. What was visible in his earthly life leads to the invisible mystery of his divine sonship and redemptive mission. 
Yeah, what we see Jesus saying and doing all point to his divinity and his role as Savior of the world. Char uh, paragraph uh, 516, characteristics common to Jesus' mysteries. Christ's whole earthly life, his words and deeds, his silences and sufferings, indeed his manner of being and speaking, is revelation of the Father. Jesus can say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And the Father can say, this is my Son, my chosen. Listen to him. Because our Lord became man in order to do his Father's will, even the least characteristics of his mysteries manifest God's love among us. 517. Christ's whole life is a mystery of redemption. Redemption comes to us above all through the blood of his cross. But this mystery is at work throughout Christ's entire life. One, already in his incarnation through which by becoming poor he enriches us with his poverty. Two, in his hidden life by which his submission atones for our disobedience. Three, in his word which purifies its hearers. Four, in his healings and exorcisms by which he took our infirmities and bore our diseases. Five, and in his resurrection by which he justifies us. Paragraph 518. Christ's whole life is a mystery of recapitulation. All Jesus did, said, and suffered had for its aim restoring fallen man to his original vocation. When Christ became incarnate and was made man, he recapitulated in himself the long history of mankind and procured for us a shortcut to salvation so that what we had lost in Adam, that is, being in the image and likeness of God, we might recover in Christ Jesus. For this reason, Christ experienced all the stages of life, thereby giving communion with God to all men. It is nice that Jesus was born a baby. You know, we come into the world as infants, and we have our own children, and we raise them, and they go through all the stages. And it's nice to know that when Jesus became a human being, that he did so. And he uh, went through all the stages that we go through. Yeah. It makes it easier for us to understand, oh, he can relate. You know, it makes it more human to us. Right. It would be less, if, to me, it would be, it's, it seems a little less human that the Savior of the world came to the earth, but... He came as just a hero. Yeah. You know, he didn't yeah. come, he can't really relate to me. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Because we are we are weak and helpless too. Yeah. And it is, it is really something that I've pondered that 
and, and I'm, I don't know, I just ponder it sometimes, that the God of the universe took on a human nature and he, he was carried in his mother's womb. He was carried in his mother's arms. He was completely helpless. He was totally dependent on Mary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. completely helpless. The God of the universe put himself in a condition where he was completely helpless. Where he was dependent on the human race. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And they didn't do him very well, did they? Um, it, it's just something to ponder. Yeah. And, you know, there are some times in life when we're fearful. And then I think back. Well, I wasn't fearful when I was a month old and my mom was carrying me around. I didn't know what fear was. But the fact is, God took care of me when I was a baby, when I was an infant, when I was a toddler, when I was a child. God has taken care of me throughout all that. Why should I be afraid now? At least that's a thought that comes to my mind. It helps to ease my fears that, that sometimes when I am fearful, like I had a fear of flying, I simply said to myself, Lord, I'm like a baby. I'm in your arms. I'm completely helpless up here in this airplane. Your most vulnerable times when you're an infant. Yeah. It's your most vulnerable times. You, you're, you're so vulnerable as an infant. Yeah. And God made sure I had a good mom and dad who took care of me. And so I entrust myself into your hands. And I think, I haven't done it yet. But I think that very well might help me when I'm dying. When I'm dying and I'm facing eternity. To just say, Lord, I abandoned myself into your hands. I think that'll be helpful. Now, I almost died once already. On June the 3rd of 1994, I had a terrible heart attack. And I'm lying in the emergency room at the hospital. And I've received the last rites and <clears throat> I'm ready to go. And uh, because it's a heart attack and you're in pain and suffering. And it's kind of hard to meditate or think, you know. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> looking back on it, I just thought, wow. I mean, I could have easily died. I mean, I was this close to dying. All, it would have just been losing consciousness and dying. I thought, wow, it's easy to die. But that was in kind of an emergency situation. Maybe if a person's dying of some disease or, uh, and you kind of know you're in the last stages, in the last few days, um, you read about some saints who've gone through terrible temptations and stuff in the last day or last hours. Um, I just think it would be a good thing to do to reflect on the fact that uh, when we were helpless, and there were many times in our life when we were in situations that we couldn't do anything about it, God carried us through. And I just think, I, I, I truly believe that God is very pleased with trust. 
as Saint Faustina uh, taught us, Jesus, I trust in you. And in her diary, Jesus is always saying, I'm very pleased, I'm very happy when people trust me completely. And I'm just thinking that at the, at the hours of death, that that's gonna be a really good thing to do, to just say, Lord, I'm now helpless, I'm now dying, I trust in you and I trust in your mercy. That's like a total sign of humility too. You're not, you know, trust putting trust in yourself at that moment. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So your pride kind of dissolves. Yeah. Oh yeah. I certainly don't want to be thinking about <laughs> about anything that I accomplished in this life when I'm yeah. dying. I want to be I want I want to be um, submitting, trusting, yeah. giving over myself. I mean, that's, a, that's total humility. Good. That, that's a good thought. Uh, paragraph 519. Our communion in the mysteries of Jesus. All Christ's riches are for every individual and are everybody's property. Christ did not live his life for himself, but for us. From his incarnation, for us men, and for our salvation, to his death, for our sins, and resurrection, for our justification. He is still our advocate with the Father, who always lives to make intercession for us. He remains ever in the presence of God on our behalf, bringing before him all that he lived and suffered for us. Well, that's a really, that's a really wonderful thought, that everything in his life was for us. Paragraph 520. In all of his life, Jesus presents himself as our model. He is the perfect man who invites us to become his disciples and follow him. In humbling himself, he has given us an example to imitate. Through his prayer, he draws us to pray. And by his poverty, he calls us to accept freely the privation and persecutions that may come our way. 521. Christ enables us to live in him all that he himself lived, and he lives it in us. By his incarnation, he, the Son of God, has in a certain way united himself with each man. We are called only to become one with him. For he enables us as the members of his body to share in what he lived for us in his flesh as our model. We must continue to accomplish in ourselves the stages of Jesus' life and his mysteries and often to beg him to perfect and realize them in us and in his whole church. For it is the plan of the Son of God to make us and the whole church partake in his mysteries and to extend them to and continue them in us and in his whole church. 
This is his plan for fulfilling his mysteries in us. Yeah, we are the body of Christ. We are the spiritual, the mystical body of Christ right now. And Jesus continues to live his life through the church, through the body of Christ here on earth. And the church is us. Section 2, the mysteries of Jesus' infancy and hidden life. The preparations, paragraph 522. <clears throat> the coming of God's Son to earth is an event of such immensity that God willed to prepare for it over centuries. He makes everything converge on Christ. All the rituals and sacrifices figures and symbols of the first covenant. He announces him through the mouths of the prophets who succeeded one another in Israel. Moreover, he awakens in the hearts of the pagans a dim expectation of this coming. Yeah, even the prophet Daniel told us when the Messiah was going to come in such a beautiful way. I mean, even gave us a countdown of 490 years to the coming of the Messiah. Paragraph 523. St. John the Baptist is the Lord's immediate precursor or forerunner sent to prepare his way. Prophet of the Most High, John surpasses all of the prophets of whom he is the last. He inaugurates the gospel already from his mother's womb, welcoming the coming of Christ, and rejoices in being the friend of the bridegroom, whom he points out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Going before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah, John bears witness to Christ in his preaching by his baptism of conversion, and through his martyrdom. Yeah, John the Baptist, the greatest of all the prophets, preparing the way. What a guy. Paragraph 524. <clears throat> and it comes to my mind, as great as John the Baptist is, Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I mean, so when you enter into the new covenant, uh, anything in the new covenant far surpasses anything in the old covenant. Paragraph 524. When the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expect expectancy of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their ardent desire for his second coming. By celebrating the precursor's birth and martyrdom, the church unites herself to his desire. He must increase, but I must decrease. That was the words of John, the baptizer. Um, some of his followers... Uh, I think we're trying to cling to John because he was, he was a great, great prophet and, and, and well-loved and he had many disciples himself. Uh, but John says, no, there's the Lamb of God. Follow him. He must increase, I must decrease. I, 
I have come to prepare his way. Now that he's here, I need to go to the background. What a, what a, what a perfect attitude. And in our life today as the church and as Christians, it shouldn't be about us. It should be about trying to glorify and magnify the Lord and, and helping him to be known by all people. Um, sometimes I look around in, in the church, in the Catholic church, in the Protestant churches, and sometimes there are leaders who make it all about themselves. And that is totally wrong. It's always about the pastor and, you know, the other yeah. churches. It, it, should be, it should be all about Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. The Christmas Mystery 525. <clears throat> Jesus was born, <clears throat> excuse me. Jesus was born in a humble stable into a poor family. Simple shepherds were the first witnesses to this event. In this poverty, heaven's glory was made manifest. The church never tires of singing the glory of this night. The virgin today brings into the world the eternal, and the earth offers a cave to the inaccessible. The angels and shepherds praise him, and the magi advance with the star. For you are born for us, little child, God eternal. And there is a great mystery. I mean, I just happened to grow up on a farm. We had cattle and hogs and stuff. And I spent many, 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 many an hour in stables. <laughs> and I've seen, uh, I've seen how dirty a stable can be. And to think that God, when he came into this world, deemed it appropriate to be born in a stable and to have a manger for his bed. I, I, I think it's so wonderful what humility God shows. And it just makes God accessible for everybody. Well, maybe the super rich can't imagine it, but the rest of us can at least those of us who have lived uh, on a farm and been in many a stable. Um, stables are dirty. And my dad, he once uh, said something that I thought was kind of profound. <laughs> he said, Jesus was born in a stable so that he would be used to it when I invited him into my heart. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Paragraph 526. To become a child in relation to God is the condition for entering the kingdom. And that's referring to what Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. For this we must humble ourselves and become little. Even more, to become children of God, we must be born from above or born of God. 
Only when Christ is formed in us will the mystery of Christmas be fulfilled in us. Christmas is the mystery of this marvelous exchange. O oh, marvelous exchange, man's creator has become man, born of the Virgin. We have been made sharers in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share our humanity. The Mysteries of Jesus' Infancy, 527. Jesus' circumcision on the eighth day after his birth is the sign of his incorporation into Abraham's descendants, into the people of the covenant. It is the sign of his submission to the law and his deputation to Israel's worship, in which he will participate throughout his life. This sign prefigures that circumcision of Christ, which is baptism. Yeah, in the Jewish religion, you were circumcised on the eighth day. That has been replaced by baptism. In uh, the Christian faith, we often baptize babies, and uh, that brings them into the body of Christ and into the, the, the Christian faith, uh, just as circumcision brought them into the, the uh the family of Abraham and into the Jewish faith. 528. The Epiphany is the manifestation of Jesus as Messiah of Israel, Son of God and Savior of the world. The great feast of Epiphany celebrates the adoration of Jesus by the wise men, the Magi from the East, together with his baptism in the Jordan and the wedding feast at Cana in Galilee. In the Magi, representatives of the neighboring pagan religions, the gospel sees the first fruits of the nations who welcome the good news of salvation through the incarnation. The Magi's coming to Jerusalem in order to pay homage to the king of the Jews shows that they seek in Israel in the, in the messianic light of the Star of David, the one who will be king of the nations. Their coming means that pagans can discover Jesus and worship him as the Son of God and Savior of the world only by turning toward the Jews and receiving from them the messianic promise as contained in the Old Testament. The Epiphany shows that the full number of the nations now takes its place in the family of the patriarchs and acquires I cannot say those words Israelitica Dignitas uh, which means are made worthy of the heritage of Israel uh, yeah the Epiphany is a wonderful uh, sign to the whole world. The Magi represent the Gentiles. Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews, but he's the Savior of the whole world. But as Jesus said, salvation comes from the Jews. Jesus is a Jew. He is a child of Abraham. He is part of that, that uh, old covenant, the first covenant, 
And it is from there that we're going to have uh, the Messiah, the Savior, and the New Covenant. Uh, our Christian faith grows right out of the Jewish religion. Jesus was a Jew, Mary was a Jew, Joseph was a Jew, the apostles were Jews. Our religion grows right out of the Jewish religion. It fulfills everything in the Old Covenant. 529. The presentation of Jesus in the temple shows him to be the firstborn son who belongs to the Lord. With Simeon and Anna, all Israel awaits its encounter with the Savior. The name given to this event in the Byzantine tradition. Jesus is recognized as the long-expected Messiah, the light to the nations and the glory of Israel, but also a sign that is spoken against. The sword of sorrow predicted for Mary announces Christ's perfect and unique oblation on the cross that will impart the salvation God had prepared in the presence of all the peoples. Well, they had quite a few quotes there from Simeon. Um, Jesus is the light of the world. And the glory of Israel, right? He's coming, he's a Jew, he's coming from the people of Israel, which is going to bring salvation to the whole world. And of course, Mary is going to be pierced with a sword of sorrow. Um, Mary is the queen of martyrs. She has suffered more than anyone else. Um... There are definitely uh, mystics writing about Mary who say that she, she knew from the beginning that Jesus would suffer as he did and uh, that she had that pain in her heart all the time, which is uh, something to ponder. And then... Uh, we don't know for sure, but there's a fairly strong tradition that Mary lived about 15 years after Jesus. And just think, she has, she has to relive, she has to relive that trauma. I mean, you talk about PTSD. I mean, holy samoles. She has the, she has the memory of Jesus' suffering. And for years, that doesn't depart from her. That's a lot more suffering. I know she has the joy of the resurrection, but she still remembers the suffering that he went through. And this is her child. This is so different than any of the rest of us. And that's why she is the queen of martyrs. 530. The flight into Egypt and the massacre of the innocents make manifest the opposition of darkness to the light. He came to his own home and his own people received him not. Christ's whole life was lived under the sign of persecution. His own share, his own share it with him. Jesus' departure from Egypt recalls the exodus and presents him as the definitive liberator of God's people. Yeah, the poor babies in Bethlehem who are murdered, 
they represent the first of the martyrs. And there will be many, many more down through the history of the world. To be a member of the body of Christ is to suffer with him. Sometimes here in America, we got it so easy. And we have not suffered physical persecutions that much. If we go back 100 years, 150 years, yes. Catholics were... Are, the church in Sydney was blown up by the know-nothing, by a group of anti-Catholics. Mm -hmm. They burned it to the ground. And there has been persecution of Catholics in this society. But right now, in my lifetime, it hasn't seemed very bad. But in the last 10 years or so, I think it's getting worse, and I expect it to get much worse in the future. Our culture is becoming increasingly secular and anti-Christian. And since the Catholic Church is the largest Christian body in America, and we are the only Christian body in America that has stayed true to the faith. I mean, we haven't caved into contraception or abortion or same-sex marriage or transgenderism or any of the very hot topics of today which seem to be moving our society. Um, and more and more, we are going to be the target of the hatred of all these people. Because we will not go along. But we already are. There are already people in the, within the Catholic Church who are pushing that secular agenda. But they won't. They, it'll, it, the gates of hell will never prevail. <laughs> right. Uh, the, um, the Church is going to remain true. It may be a small church, a smaller church, as St. Benedict said. He's, he foresaw the church being much smaller because of that very thing. The Mysteries of Jesus' Hidden Life, 531. During the greater part of his life, Jesus shared the condition of the vast majority of human beings, a daily life spent without evident greatness, a life of manual labor. His religious life was that of a Jew obedient to the law of God, a life in the community. From this whole period, it is revealed to us that Jesus was obedient to his parents and that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. 5.32 Jesus' obedience to his mother and legal father fulfills the fourth commandment perfectly and was the temporal image of his filial obedience to his father in heaven. The everyday obedience of Jesus to Joseph and Mary both announced and anticipated the obedience of Holy Thursday. Not my will, but thy will be done. The obedience of Christ in the daily routine of his hidden life 
was already inaugurating his work of restoring what the disobedience of Adam had destroyed. Yeah, that's very profound. Adam disobeyed. Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, and they brought original sin and condemnation into the world. Jesus is the new Adam, and he wins the victory by obedience. Obedience to the will of God. And this is what we should strive for. This is definitely what we should strive for. And we pray it every day in the Our Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And that's what we should strive for every day. 533. The hidden life at Nazareth allows everyone to enter into fellowship with Jesus by the most ordinary events of daily life. The home of Nazareth is the school where we begin to understand the life of Jesus, the school of the gospel. First, then, a lesson of silence. May esteem for silence that admirable and indispensable condition of the mind revive in us a lesson on family life. May Nazareth teach us what family life is. It is communion of love, its austere and simple beauty, and its sacred and inviolable character. A lesson of work, Nazareth, home of the carpenter's son, in you I would choose to understand and proclaim the severe and redeeming law of human work. To conclude, I want to greet all the workers of the world, holding up to them their great pattern, their brother, who is God. Yeah, I want to say a word about this. Jesus spent 90% of his life as a private person. 30 years. He only spent three years as a public person in his public ministry, uh, being the Messiah, curing people, teaching the world. Only three years. 10% of his life. 90% of his life. And yet, I am convinced that a lot of people, they think, like they say, well, I want to be like Jesus. They, they think they're being religious, they think they're being holy, when they're doing something that is publicly religious, like if you're going to church on Sunday, or if you're participating in a pilgrimage, or a, or a procession, or, or something that's overtly religious, they, they, they think that that is imitating Jesus, and in a way it is. But when you're doing the dishes at home, when you're sweeping the floor at home, when you're taking care of the children at home, when you are working at your job, you are imitating 90% of Jesus's life. Yeah. You see, when I think about that and when I apply that, it literally makes housework and labor and yard work and and your job it it sanctifies these things uh -huh. yeah
Yeah. Yeah. It it's it truly it truly gives a great meaning to the everyday task of life that when God Almighty came to this world, he spent 90% of his time doing the ordinary things of life. Yeah. And with Mary and Joseph, they did go to church. They went to the synagogue. Yeah. They went to the temple. They, they celebrated Passover. They, they celebrated, you know, and when I do that with my family, it just makes me feel really, really good because when God was on this earth, he did this too. He lived a life like ours. And so when my dad was teaching me how to saw a board, he was doing something extremely religious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It it's um it's a beautiful thing, and um, I, I'm telling you, I, I it it has been a very very profound uh, lesson in my life that uh, you don't have to be doing churchy things. When we took an unwed mother into our home. And we patiently talked with her and cared for her. I mean, to me, you live church in your house, in your home, in your family. That's where you live it the most. Going, going to the church on Sunday, going to Mass on Sunday, is, is like icing on the cake. It's like the cherry on top. The real life of a Christian is lived every moment, every day, at home, at the job, that is where you live it out. And I think people miss that. I really do. I, I think a lot of people think that that going to Mass or going to church or saying prayers, that that is, that is what religious what life is all about. That's the icing on the cake. The cake itself is living, is life, is ordinary life. And how do you approach that? Yeah. How do you live it out? That's, that's the important thing to me. And, and, the, and what gets me is, what, what, what teaches that to me is, Jesus spent 90% of his life unknown, unheralded, a nobody, living in a no-place town, just doing ordinary work. If he spent 90% of his time doing it, it must be important. Yeah. <laughs> it must be important. And he was just as, when he was carrying a bucket of water in the house for his mother, he was just as much the savior of the world as when he was out multiplying loaves and fishes. Yeah. yeah. He was the same Messiah, he was the same savior, and he was just as much the Savior of the world when he was at home as when he was on the road preaching. And so we can be a dynamic Christian just as much in our home as when we go and participate at Mass.
I'm not saying you shouldn't go to Mass. I said, absolutely, go to Mass. Jesus went to the synagogue and everything. But 90% of his life, he wasn't doing religious things. But what we have to realize is that private life is, is really just as important as that public life. And finally, we finish it up here today, paragraph 534. The finding of Jesus in the temple is the only event that breaks the silence of the Gospels about the hidden years of Jesus. Here Jesus lets us catch a glimpse of the mystery of his total consecration to a mission that flows from his divine sonship. Did you not know that I must be about my father's work? Mary and Joseph did not understand these words, but they accepted them in faith. Mary kept all these things in her heart. During the years Jesus remained hidden in the silence of an ordinary life. Yeah, at the, at the temple he said, did you not know I had to be in my father's house about my father's business? Indicating that at age 12, Jesus certainly knew who he was, that he was the son of God, that he was the savior of the world. And there's a modern heresy that runs around that says, oh, Jesus didn't know who he was. And don't ever fall for that. That is certainly not true at all. Uh, he knew exactly who he was. And don't let some modernist heretic ever convince you otherwise. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Lord, for the catechism of the Catholic Church. Thank you for all that it teaches us. And, and thank you for the, the, the inspiration that you give us when we read it. May our lives, our daily lives, glorify you so that you can increase and we can decrease. May people see you in us. May they hear you in us. May, be, may they touch you in us as we try to bring your love to everyone we meet. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.